I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of High Resolution Bite Sides Video Game Industry Podcast. This episode, we're doing something a little bit different because we've passed the halfway point of the year. We thought it'd be a good idea to reflect on what games have come out and what games are early contenders for Game of the Year. And having recently published a mid-year Game of the Year list, uh, the fine folks at Games Hub, I thought I'd ask them along to discuss their picks and why they've chosen them and what we're looking forward to for the rest of the year. So I'm joined by Edmund Tran, editor of Games Hub. Thank you for joining me. No worries, Chris. How are you going? Yeah, I'm going really well. Really happy to have you here. And I'm joined by Emily Spindler, Games Hub contributor and someone who's written some absolutely ripping features lately. So thank you very much for joining me, Emily. Thank you so much for having me. An absolute pleasure. So we'll get started in terms of games of the year. There have been some very big games that have come out. One that I have consistently heard from a lot of people at the top of their list so far. Ed, this is one that you've been seeing the praises of, Elden Ring. Talk me through Elden Ring and why it's one of your games of the year so far. Yeah, Elden Ring. This is this is going to be a hot contender for for a lot of the top of many many lists, I think. Mm. So if you if you're not aware, um, Elden Ring is the latest game from a company called From Software, who made a series called Dark Souls, and their their signature game design involves uh, like very little hand holding, very d- difficult challenges, and um, a lot of sort of yeah, just player um, driven discovery of um of whatever was going on so they're typically known for being very punishing and you know lots of people have sort of stayed away um from those games in the past but elden ring changes things up by i guess making it more um a, somewhat more accessible uh, in a couple of ways by making it a big open world game so you're not forced down one path you can sort of explore a little bit more and if you do run across something that's that's way above your head in terms of challenge you can go elsewhere and sort of practice before you do that um and uh, there are a lot of other little mechanical things like you know lots of little assistant tools like you know you can summon animals to sort of help you and stuff kind of stuff but i think possibly the the thing that's gotten it most uh the reason why it's so popular is is the association of George R R Martin, um, and I know that 
is that's not a big deal for me at all because I've I've never read Game of Thrones or whatever. But that having his name on the cover is definitely shipping units because this thing has sold like it was something like twelve million units in the course of like three weeks. So this this previously uh, uh, very niche difficult. Um, type of game has gotten uh, a wide reach. People have sort of um, discovered the joys of beating your head up against a wall and sort of overcoming challenge, and uh, and that's great, you know. And this this is many people's first Dark Souls style game, and I- I've seen so many people on my on my social media accounts finish it. Like this is what the first Souls game that they've ever played and finished, which is like a really great testament to sort of the what Elden Ring does in sort of building its world and um, guiding you through its challenges and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, give it a shot. If you've never played a Souls game before, you might like it. Or even in my case, if you've played most of them but have not finished any of them, perhaps uh, this is a good one for me to jump in and and finally commit to seeing it all all the way through. Where where would you sort of rank or place it among the From Software games that you've played, Ed? Uh, look, it's, it's, it's definitely up there. Um, it, it definitely comes from the Dark Souls sort of lineage. Um, uh, so in terms of Dark Souls games, I'd say this is one of my favorites for sure, just because of how awe inspiring the world is. Like basically every turn of your corn, every corner you turn, it seems like there's something spectacular waiting for you or something horrifying waiting for you. And there's, there's lots of those wow moments, which, um, sort of were, I guess, they seem uh, uh, more prevalent just because there are there are so many options, and um, so yeah, it's definitely my favorite in terms of those ones. But obviously, From Software has done stuff like Sekiro and Bloodborne, uh, which provide a few twists on the formula, which are also really great. I quite like Sekiro myself, uh, but no, Elden Ring is, is is definitely up there. It's one of the best From Software games, um, yeah, and I think that'll come out in sort of end of year list for sure. Fantastic. And yeah, you're absolutely right, considering just looking at the sheer number of units that have shipped so far, it's something that has widely resonated with people across the world. So, yeah, yeah, would not surprise me to see that top many Game of the Year lists at the end of the year. But another- very big game. This one's more of a, a platform-specific one, and this one, uh, Horizon Forbidden West. And I know this was one that uh, Leah, who unfortunately couldn't join us, uh, another one of the lovely Games Hub team members, uh, Leah put this as one of her Game of the Years so far. But, Emily, I also know this is something that you've really been enjoying as well. So, please, uh, talk me through your experience with Horizon Forbidden West and why you think this might be a Game of the Year contender. Yeah, so um, Horizon Forbidden West was the first game that I got to play on my PS5. So I guess there was that huge jump in just the performance of the game, visuals, all that kind of stuff, which really wowed me just off the bat. But um, I'm an absolute tragic for, I guess, those kind of huge expansive stories, just playing single player exploring these amazing worlds, all these interconnected communities. So it was always going to be a top contender in my book. Um, I was a huge fan of Horizon Zero Dawn. I love Aloy's story. Um, And they've really turned it up a notch in this one, I feel. So obviously beyond the absolutely stunning visuals, um, which are just, I cannot state enough that they're amazing. Um, But beyond that, just the 
amount of different gigantic robotic dinosaur-like creatures that you can combat, you can overturn and kind of ride on, use, all that kind of stuff. Uh, it's just, yeah, it's really kind of taking what they did well in the last game and just making it even better, making it newer, refreshing the combat. Um, so I guess on that front, yeah, it's been absolutely fantastic. I haven't completed it yet, but I am pretty decently through it so far. And I think, yeah, they've taken a formula that worked really well for Zero Dawn and they've just managed to refine it a bit more, which is something I really love to see. You know, a lot of sequels kind of take what they've done and they may not change it at all, but um, Guerrilla Games has managed to, I guess, take what wasn't working from Zero Dawn and just do it a little bit better. So I've been really enjoying it and um, I know it's already been getting a lot of love. I know it's already won a award from, I believe, the Developer Star Awards for Game of the Year, which is really, really great and I'm glad it's getting the accolades that it deserves. But it'll be interesting to see how it fares later in the year against the releases that are coming at the back end of this year. Certainly. And, yeah, that that is a pretty big deal to have it as your first sort of next-gen or what really is current-gen console as well, uh, you being one of the lucky ones who has a PS5. So, <laughs> let, let's, you know, rub that in the face of everyone who hasn't hasn't got one yet. But um, one of the things I liked that someone pointed out for Horizon Forbidden West, I think this might have been in a, a digital foundry uh, breakdown of some of the technical stuff that it does really well is the way that it frames conversations between characters and that the characters all appear through better animations, better camera techniques and that sort of thing. All the characters look more uh, lifelike or less Less like an NPC yeah. and and more like a, an actual person who you're, you know, reacting with, um, conversing with and uh, sort of gives a little bit more grounding to, to their story and a lot of the side missions and, and, and the main quest as well. Um, I'm curious, with um, – you mentioned some of the things that perhaps – the first Horizon game didn't do quite as well. Is there something that sticks out to you, Emily, with Horizon Forbidden West as a really remarkable improvement from the original? I think absolutely you've touched on it, the kind of NPCs and how the world feels like it's living and breathing. I personally found um, Zero Dawn could get quite lonely at times, but in Forbidden West they really built up those amazing civilizations and encampments that you come across. And as part of that living, breathing world, you might save someone from an attack earlier in the game and then you end up at their, their encampment later in the game and they thank you and they might gift you something, you get rewarded in that way. And so I think just having a game where it feels like, you know, the world is changing around you and you're of consequence to even tiny, minute things is definitely a huge improvement and it feels a lot less like you're kind of going on this road alone because they've got that amazing cast of characters and their voice actors gave great performances as well, which I think really adds some depth to that. So I'm probably going to stick with that as the kind of biggest improvement in my mind. Yeah, there are also certainly. a lot of leaves. Yes. <laughs> that was my first reaction. It was like, there is just so much foliage. It's almost overwhelming and it's just, it's just insane how much we can render now. Yeah. Um, it's, it's really, really fantastic. Just the amount of work that's been put into it. I think my one piece of feedback on it, and it's so petty, but Aloy's hair 
just something about it isn't quite right. I think if that was fixed, I could almost call it a perfect game. But <laughs> that's that's fair. That's fair. I mean, that's you know, you are absolutely valid. You're allowed to have your specific hangups. We 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 don't judge here. I I did I did actually find on the on the the hair side of things with Horizon, uh, I. Because one of the big things when I jumped in was, especially with the PS5 allowing more graphical and performance options, is trying to figure out, oh, do I want to play on 30 frames, higher quality graphics, or 60 frames, smoother gameplay? And I found that I can't remember which one because it's a while since I've played, but there was one where I found the hair just looked a bit wrong and a bit distracting. And uh, so I totally agree that it is a valid thing to, uh, to to mention because I I based my graphical and performance settings based on what made the characters <laughs> look better. So there you go. I'm glad but you're with me on that. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, so there's there's another game that I'm, I'm very keen to ask about. Um, Ed. Vampire Survivors, this is a game that I've seen some images, some stills and some video footage on social media for, and I've heard a lot of really good things about, but sort of from the outside looking in, it looks like a real mess of pixels. There's a lot of things going on. <laughs> yeah, what, it looks like is- hot trash um, <laughs> yeah. when, you, when you take a look at it in social media, uh, like stills, in even video, like it's just- but it's it's some it's something about the gameplay loop of this game. So what it is, it's it's basically a game that is um, aping off the themes of Castlevania and specifically with you know, just killing Castlevania style enemies. Um, so it's it's part idle game, part no, it's 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 basically an idle game with a little bit of movement. So you so you start with a character, you sort of move it around this this field where um, enemies are just constantly coming at you, instead of a Dynasty Warriors style thing, and your character is um, automatically firing whatever their weapon is. And as you level up and get experience, you get to stack on more weapons on your character. And it's just that weird satisfaction of um, slowly growing your loadout and just like. It, it, constantly seeing this gradual power curve and being able to just take out hundreds and hundreds of monsters at once. So it's, and it's that innate satisfaction I, that I think has gotten this game such a, a rabid cult fan. It's like it only came out in early access this year and I think it's going to launch um, completely by the end of the year, but it's just oddly satisfying. And I, I, I and I realize it just looks bad. It sounds very standard on paper, but once you actually get your hands on it and you sink like five minutes into it, you'll be hooked because all you'll want is that feeling of being able to eliminate so many enemies on screen with, you know, your ridiculous little person. Um, and all you're li- literally doing is like moving them around and sort of making sure you're having enough space to sort of have your abilities to cool down and fire off. Um, yeah, I, I, I'd say that if you, I'm curious about it. Definitely give it a shot because I think it's only like three or four dollars on Steam, and you'll very quickly see what everyone is talking about. Um, it is just insane how big how big this game has gotten. I think, and I think it's it's definitely. Uh, I think that's definitely warranted. Yeah, it's it's interesting because when I think of the idle genre, I tend to think of a lot of mobile games that enact some quite aggressive microtransaction and monetization elements. So. Do you think the fact that Vampire Survivors is like an upfront premium game, you know, you're dropping a few dollars on this, 
sort of remove some of the the gross elements that other idle games implement or is it something that's more baked into its core gameplay how how would you say it really differentiates itself from other idle or sort of idle based games yeah i mean i haven't had too much experience with monetized idle games and i've played things like cookie clicker and sort of universal mm. paper clips those kind of things um and i guess the the one hook here is that you do need to keep your eye on your, your characters, it's, it's just, there's just that tiny little bit of engagement, which is you moving your, your character around that just gives you that much more, um, of an attachment to it, I suppose, rather than just running it in the background and sticking on it once in a while. Um, yeah, it's, I don't know. It's just whatever they're doing. It's, it's just like a weird formula that you know, it very easily just hooks into your brain. Um, yeah, just that little bit of sort of, um, uh, uh, yeah, that little bit of control goes a long way. Mm, certainly. And yeah, still in early access. So it sounds like there's still, you know, room for, uh, for improvement and for more features along yeah. the way, which is uh, pretty exciting. And I think something about knowing that your actual, the engagement is slight. And you mm-hmm. think you can get away with just playing it for like five or 10 minutes. You know, you don't have to get too invested in it. Um, but that's how they get you, I suppose. Yeah. 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 And, uh, yeah. So you mentioned there's, there's some dynasty warriors elements to vampire survivors, which brings us quite nicely into this next game, one that's based on the dynasty warriors formula, but it's one of the spin-offs. Uh, and that is Fire Emblem Warriors Three Hopes. And this is one that I'm currently knee deep or actually probably more accurately neck deep into, <laughs> into this game and one that I've really been enjoying, uh, seeing a continuation of the, uh, the Fire Emblem Three Houses sort of universe cast of characters and setting that the Fodland setting, uh, into the, the Warriors the Dynasty Warriors gameplay where there's the hack and slash, there's the, the base capturing and uh, plenty of submissions along the way as well. And it's not the first, it's not the first Warriors game for Fire Emblem as well, because there was a Fire Emblem Warriors game back in, I think it was 2017, 2018. And we've had a couple of Zelda Warriors games as well. Emily, I know this one, Fire Emblem Warriors Three Hopes, is one that you've really got behind as well. So, what what do you like about this particular game and what, what really does it for you? So I was a huge fan of Three Houses. I had never picked up a Fire Emblem game prior and then I just picked it up one day and I played way too many hours of it and did way too many replays. Um, and so I was super excited to get back into the world of Fodland because I absolutely loved the cast of characters. They did a fantastic job, I thought, with the story. Um, I was a bit sceptical initially because I much prefer that kind of, I guess, more methodical in my mind turn-based combat that came with Three Houses and then going into a Warriors-type game where, you know, you're hacking and slashing at waves and waves of enemies and doing all these ridiculous combos and spinning people into the air and smashing them down. It was uh, quite foreign to me, I guess, and I wasn't sure if I was going to enjoy it. But, um, yeah, I would say probably maybe five hours in after sort of grumbling about it for a little bit, I was like, huh, 
this is actually really, really fun. Um, I don't know. There's just kind of a, a simple joy in being able to cut down slates of like hundreds of enemies at once that I haven't really experienced in a game before personally, because I've just always steered away. Um, and it was also really great to see the characters revisited in a different light. So there was sort of these different facets to them that you'd maybe not been able to see in three houses that suddenly were brought to the forefront and these kind of loose ends that were getting tied up, but then all of these twists and turns. So it didn't just feel like you were playing the same game from a few years back, but with a different protagonist. Um, so I did really like that. And I, I liked what they did with the storyline as a whole. Um, and I, of course, liked that they still had their relationship building and all the kind of good stuff from Fire Emblem that I've come to know and love since. Um, but, yeah, I think just the way that they went about the combat was really fantastic. You know, there was the kind of planning to make sure that, you know, you had an advantage over a particular enemy and some enemies would sort of outclass yours if you had like a unit that wasn't particularly proficient in a certain weapon or didn't have a certain class. Then there was the pair-ups, there was the combat arts. There was just a lot of different mechanics going into it to make it much more complex than a good old button mash fest. Although if you do want to do that, there is more than enough space for it. So it's kind of good for both. Um, but yeah, so I, I think it's really fantastic. I mean, the sales numbers are speaking for itself. It's sold a heap. I don't know off the top of my head how much, but I know it's been doing really, really well as far as sales and uh, getting critical acclaim. And that's really, really good to see because I think they've done a great job just creating a, a game that's old but new again. So yeah. Mm, I, I totally agree. I'm towards the end of my first playthrough, uh, going through the, the Black Eagles side yeah. of, of the campaign. And it's very interesting with three, uh, three hopes, much like three houses, is that there is such variation between which house or which sort of part of Fodlan you, uh, ally yourself with because, uh, I, I am a self-confessed simp for Edelgard. So, so am I. I, 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 will, I will follow Edelgard to the ends of the earth and Black Eagles for life, uh, to which my, my partner, on the other hand, is a big fan of the, the Disney prince, uh, Dimitri of the, um, the, the Blue Lions. Uh, a few head shakes there, which I approve of. Uh, <laughs> um, so, but just the, the sheer variety in terms of I was describing the outcome of a particular quest or a particular mission to, to my partner and saying, Hey, this is what, this is what happened. There, there was something very drastic that happened to this particular group of characters and the equivalent chapter for the Blue Lions. She said, oh, oh, well, hang on. This happened at this particular moment and just hearing the, the sheer divergence of the, the story and the replayability is quite phenomenal. It's, it's probably the sort of thing because of how big and long the game is. I'm not going to rush immediately into another playthrough after finishing, finishing my first playthrough, but it speaks to the same level of appeal that Three Houses had when it, when it launched was this very strong focus on characters and relationships and story, attracting people who may not have previously uh, tried or enjoyed strategy games or tactical games, which I think is, is really, really cool. So, um, and of course, very pleasing that uh, you're also a fellow Black Eagle, Emily. Uh, <laughs> yes. anything that you uh, attracted you to the, the house in particular or? Um, 
Look, I won't lie, I'm also just a massive simp for Edelgard. Um, <laughs> good, that's good. why I initially picked it in three houses. And then I decided um, for the sake of science, we'll call it, I would try the Black Eagles again for three hopes so I could compare the pair. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's the best house personally, but that's just me. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I have to say, uh, it's it's really impressive that Omega Force has been able to sort of start because they made about 15 of these Dynasty Warriors Stars games that were all literally all the same. But now that they're working with other uh, licenses and franchises, it's really admirable to sort of see how they've managed to incorporate stuff that made those the stuff that made those games special into a Warriors style game. Like the Persona one they did last year was fantastic because they introduced mm. so many different things into the actual combat as well as the social stuff. And they've done the same thing again here. And just to hear that, you know, there are, there are three, four, you know, different paths and all that kind of stuff and all the considerations you have to do in battle and this, the whole strategy element to it is just, I don't know. It's, it's, it's really great. And as you said, you know, it really is good for people who maybe don't have the patience for a turn-based strategy game to sort of experience what, the um the great elements of um sort of three houses in a different different kind of way a more yeah I don't know a more palatable way I suppose if you I, for action fans I think as well one thing that really stood out to me was the fact that as opposed to three houses but also just like a lot of other games the decision making was often made or it fully made in combat. So if mm. you kind of made a wrong move, that was going to completely shift the story and, you know, who might live or die. And I thought that was a lot more realistic than maybe sitting there agonizing over a single dialogue selection. Um, so I thought that was really great to see. That's that's a really great point because that immediately brings to mind one mission that I played through where I had the where I actually didn't realize I was only told this afterwards um that I had the chance to recruit a particular character mm-hmm. however it did not explicitly communicate that to me in in the moment so as as you mentioned Emily it's a, a great example of gameplay affecting narrative and vice versa which is something I just love in video games uh, and the the fact that it's made me think back on my actions and think oh no I've <laughs> I've done something really bad there and I had no idea which is you know more like life you're not you're not presented with sort of binary choices in life okay yeah pick a or pick b and this is what will happen no i i had to just forge on unknowingly and live with the consequences but um a game that is far less dramatic far less combative for lack of a a better word 
but still quite challenging, is is one that I've really enjoyed that's released via Netflix, of all people, and that is Point P. Ed, I know you've been raving at, about Point P, and it was actually your recommendation that inspired oh, me to check it out. <laughs> uh, so, I've- I've I've lost a fair few hours and had uh, far longer bathroom breaks than uh, initially intended, thanks to Point B. So, uh, what's what is Point B, Ed, and why is it so good? Um, so, point, so Point B, as you said, it comes from Netflix. It's sort of their, I think it's their first the first feather in the cap for their game strategy. It's like the first like must play mobile game that they have. They can really get on Netflix. Um, so a few years ago, uh, there was a game called Downwell made by an indie, a solo Japanese indie developer named Ojimo Futamoto. I think that's his name. Probably wrong, but he made this great game called Downwell, which, which was where you basically had a, had a guy, he had guns on his feet and he was falling down in a bottomless pit. And that game was all about, um, establishing flow by sort of staying in the air, jumping off of enemies, um, and, uh, avoiding platforms and basically just, yeah, never touching the ground, which is, I guess, very difficult because gravity is harsh. And, um, but being able to do it was, um, it was just a really, really great action loop that made you like, Get, got your heart racing. Um, so that, that released a, a few years ago. He went quiet. He went to work for Nintendo for a little while, I believe. And all of a sudden, out of the blue, Point P comes out. It's by him and it's basically the reverse of Downwell. Um, it's, it's a game where you play a little dinosaur with a, a, a juice maker and you need to feed like fruit and feed it to a cat. Um, but the actions involve you basically trying to get upward momentum. So that's um, launching yourself in a in sort of like a video game golf style fashion by pulling back on the screen and letting go and flinging point B into walls um, off of enemies, um, uh, uh, ricocheting off um, objects and then um, slamming down into enemies to get extra bounce um, and collecting fruit on the way to um, eventually feed the cat. So once you touch the ground, um, all of the fruit you've collected will go into this cat. So, so again, it's all about maintaining that flow, keeping off the ground, um, do, pulling off these impossible combos or seemingly impossible combos to sort of, um, you know, um, up your multiplier and sort of that, that, yeah, I think, I guess just fighting gravity. Um, uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty, it's, it's thrilling and it's, uh, it's, it's very, it's a very addictive game. I don't like to use the word addictive, but you know, it's, it's, it's very Moorish. It's, I'll say that. Um, and it's just adorable. Um, something about Point B's squishy animations, the way he flips and bounces. Um, when you squish enemies, they like squash into like little Play-Doh things. It's, it's just, it's just a great game all around. It's perfect for, yeah, it's, it's, I think it's like a perfect mobile game. You can play it, uh, one-handed. It's in portrait mode and it's just a really, really nice sort of, um, almost tactile feedback. I don't think there's, I don't recall any vibrations, but it just feels really good to just fling point B off the walls and sort of um, keep up those chains. Um, it's just a great mobile action game and definitely one of my favorites for sure. That it is. And it's actually inspired me to rectify one of my gaming sins in that I have not actually played uh, down well. So I will definitely be rectifying that considering how much I have enjoyed point B. So uh, I'll, I'll definitely be, 
getting uh, getting to that and uh, yeah very keen to see how the two compare um another game I'd, I'd like to very quickly touch on and uh emily i know this is one that you mentioned as one that you've really enjoyed or, or really enjoyed playing through and that's the quarry uh so uh from the same people that made until dawn is that correct yes Yes, yes. So very much in that same cinematic story, uh, you know, decision based, um, narrative game. What's, what do you like about the quarry and, and why is, why is this a, a highlight for you so far? So the quarry just does a really fantastic job of, I guess, harking back to those kind of 80s slasher summer camp classics. Um, so I am a big baby with horror movies generally, but I've been trying to dip my toe in here and there. And same goes for horror games. And I was really, really drawn to that kind of where it's basically just an interactive movie almost in a lot of ways. So I really liked that kind of concept when I was going in and the game itself has just so many different sort of decisions that you need to make that all impact the ending and whether characters live or die. And I think just the sheer amount of like replayability due to the fact that there's just almost not infinite, but a very large amount of different ways the story can go based off even the most minor interactions. Um, I think that's fantastic. And they're not even quick time events. It might just be like an incidental conversation that you'd have with another character could spell death for them in the end. Um, so I thought that was really interesting from a kind of story and story mechanic standpoint. Um, I also really liked that once you did finish your first playthrough, you got those death rewinds. So say if there was a character that you got really attached to, you could kind of go back and undo that a little bit although um from memory i think if you got the deluxe edition you had that from the start so lucky those people i guess um but yeah it's just a fantastic game and i also really liked that you could disable kind of quick time events or button mashes and things like that because i think it's kind of become or at least from what i've seen a staple in a lot of those more story focused horror games where something will grab you from behind and you've got a button mash really quickly to try and get away and Personally, I don't have the quickest reaction time when it comes to things like that. And I usually die or something happens and it can be really, really frustrating. So I liked that there was kind of that customization that you could do to make the game enjoyable for you. And I think a lot of games are kind of going down that route, which is nice to see being able to tailor your gameplay like that. Um, and I also really liked that there was pretty much just purely the movie mode where you just picked the characters' personalities and I guess how they might make decisions and then you just got to watch it through and just sit back and relax. I think um, I think they did a really, really fantastic job of making just a, just a good old horror story. Like, yeah, it's plain and simple, just a bit of fun, I think. Yeah, I like the, the, the mention of, you know, being able to customize or disable quick time events and that sort of thing. And that's becoming more of a, an accessibility staple as well to be able to change it either into button holds or remove them altogether, which I, I think that's, you know, it, it's great that more developers are implementing more accessibility features like that. Uh, because I, I remember with some of the conversations I've had with developers in the past is if you implement an accessibility feature, that's intended for, say, a group of people with a particular disability or a particular barrier, 
more often than not, the the gameplay change or the option that you implement benefits far more people than just the target audience. So it, it's it's really great for helping people, you know, tailor their own experience, which is is fantastic. Just quickly, how many people died on your first playthrough? A few too many. Uh, no further <laughs> questions. <laughs> um, uh, but yes, I rewound as many as I possibly could. So I think I ended up only having two people die. So five initially, probably. I don't know, quite a lot. <laughs> it's it's a brutal game and very very similar. I'm I'm an absolute wuss when it comes to horror. So I actually had to resort to uh, settling for a, a let's play to enjoy the quarry. But I still enjoyed the experience I had. Um, but as as we wrap up our mid-year game of the year discussion, I, I want to ask each of you what you're looking forward to for the rest of the year or if there are any games that you haven't played yet that you'd like to and would think you'd think of them as being potential contenders. So, Ed, I'll start with you. Are there any games that you're particularly looking forward to for the rest of the year or anything that you'd like to catch up on that you think might be in game of the year consideration? So many, Chris. So many. Yeah. Um, I guess aside from the sort of the big blocks, block big blockbusters that we know are coming up, like your God of Wars, uh, even your Bayonetta's, that kind of stuff. Um, I'll say that I'm looking forward to uh, Immorality, which is the new game by Sam Barlow. Um, so he did her story and Telling Lies, and he works with mm. sort of FMV and interactive storytelling, and he does like really interesting sort of. I guess detective style gameplay. And Immorality is a game where you sort of are watching three old movies and trying to work out the murder of a real woman. Some, like something like that. Um, hmm. and it sounds super interesting. Um, and I think that sounds really inventive. Um, I really, um, need to get to playing, um, this game called Patrick's Parabox. It's, uh, it's like a recursive Sokoban, like, box pushing style puzzle puzzle game where each box you push goes into another little world and it's like inception but you know a puzzle game um and apparently like a lot of people who i sort of whose opinion i respect i really love this game so i'm really keen to check it out myself um i've also been meaning to play citizen sleeper which i've heard is very good um that's the uh, another narrative adventure um yeah, and then I'm also looking forward to Wayward Strand as well because that looks to be doing some interesting things with sort of narrative and I love sort of like clockwork style games where everything is is happening around you. I'm a, I'm a sucker for that kind of stuff. Um, so, yeah, but plenty more too. Hmm. Citizen Sleeper's a good one. Uh, before I get to you, Emily, uh, Citizen Sleeper, that's one that I've, I've played maybe an hour or two of and it's enough to tell me that this is one that I will want to spend a fair bit of time with, uh, the, the real tabletop approach to storytelling. And I recall reading, uh, David Wildgoose's very, um, very interesting analysis of the, I think it was a talk that the developer gave at Ludo Naricon or something like that, uh, about how the, the gameplay is sort of a bit allegorical for living with a disability or living with a, a mental illness and that sort of thing, which is something that, uh, is, is very dear to me. And reading about how, how that sort of feeds into the gameplay was really, really interesting. And the, the, the part that I did play of it was, was very clever at sort of that whole narrative and gameplay and just a very cool, 
even though it's a bit of a, a dystopian world, it's still a very cool world to exist in. So uh, I would would recommend for anyone who hasn't checked checked out Citizen Sleeper to do so. With that being said, Emily, are there any games or well? But let me phrase that a bit better. What games are you looking forward to for the rest of the year? And are there any that you're keen to catch up on as well? Uh, so I'm definitely really keen to catch up on Citizen Sleeper as well. Um, another game that I, or another two games that I haven't played that I know are absolutely fantastic. So um, I've committed a cardinal sin by not yet playing Elden Ring. Um, so I need to dedicate like hundreds of hours into that, I feel, um, because I know, obviously, absolutely fantastic. Everyone's singing its praises. Um, I also really want to play Tiny Tina's Wonderland. I love the the D&D inspiration, obviously, Borderlands. It's just, just looks like a good bit of fun. And I think uh, when I have the time, I'll definitely be j- jumping into it. But as far as games that I'm really keen for that are coming out this year, so I guess the most obvious one is God of War Ragnarok. I absolutely adored the first God of War in the Norse kind of, I guess, what would you call it, uh, installments. Um, so after watching the trailers and watching heaps and heaps of video essays of people just pulling apart every tiny little tidbit of information that they possibly can from it to work out what's going to happen. Um, I think it's going to be really, really cool. And I mean, they did a fantastic job with the first game. So I'm excited to see kind of how it all pans out. Um, and other than that, I'm also really keen to play Stray, which came out today, actually, I think. Um, I read David Wild Goose's review on our website, and it he, gameshub.com for yeah, anyone uh, yes. listening or watching. Um, but <laughs> his review made me even more hyped for it than I already was. I uh, am an absolute sucker for kind of cat games because I'm a cat lady. Um, so it just looked really cute, and I'm keen to give it a playthrough and kind of suss it out because I've played other games where there's kind of been, I guess post-apocalyptic but robots have taken over and I've been really disappointed by I guess the loneliness of it but I really like that it seems like the world is still kind of thriving with the robots that are in the game so I'm interested to see how they do that and obviously the mechanics of just being a cat and being a menace and going around this world and working out what's happened so I think that'll be really cool um and another game that I've sort of started sinking my teeth into but it's still in early access and I'm interested to see where it kind of goes from here it's another vampire game I feel like this year is the year of the vampire for some games um V Rising um it was one that kind of came to me through word of mouth and it seems like for a lot of people that I know of that have played it same deal um it's kind of top down it's got kind of aspects of MMOs, but then you're also building a base and kind of, I guess, trying to become the best vampire lord that you can in this world. And then there's all these interesting mechanics of kind of avoiding sunlight and having to drink blood and all this really cool stuff. And so far it's it's been real good fun and I'm interested to see kind of where they go as it gets a full release. And, um, yeah, I hope people hop onto it and get as much fun out of it as I have so far. But, yeah. Mm. Fantastic. Yes, I'm with you on Stray as well. I'm very keen to give that a go, being the uh, the, the cat fella that I am. So, very keen to, to dive in and explore the world as a ginger tabby, which I think is possibly just one of the, the best protagonists in gaming of all time. <laughs> um, 
But I'm also looking forward to the Nintendo Switch and PC release of Wild Flowers, uh, which is an Aussie-developed game or sort of Aussie-based, but very much an international collaboration uh, that came out on Apple Arcade earlier in the year, a, a witchy farming game, which from what I played on Apple Arcade is just wonderful. It's as if Harvest Moon, Story of Seasons and Stardew Valley combined but to have sort of more of a cinematic slightly cinematic story-based approach so very keen to play that more when it comes out on switch later in the year and i i would also like to shout out rogue legacy 2 which is a wonderful sequel to one of my favorite games of all time uh, a roguelike platformer that invokes plenty of metroidvania style gameplay and exploration and just has a very satisfying gameplay loop so those are games that i have played and are very excited to to see more of as the year progresses but for now we'll leave it there Thank you very much, both of you, for joining me on on High Resolution. Is there anything in particular that you'd like to promote or plug or say before we go? Ed, uh, anything uh, that you'd like to say? Uh, Nothing in particular, but you can um, follow me on Twitter at uh, Edmund Tran, and you can find all my work at gameshub.com. Emily? Um, Yeah, nothing in particular either, but you can yeah find my work on gameshub.com as well. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much for joining me to talk about Games of the Year so far for 2022. And there'll be plenty more to look forward to as the year goes on. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.